Amen. Praise God. Somebody say praise God. I'm excited just about what God is doing. Anybody excited about the Lord? A little bit, a lot, just something. A lot. Come on, let's pray. Come on, grab somebody standing around you. I'm going to pray right now and seek the Lord for understanding of his word. Father, as we come into your presence, God, we ask you that you would just anoint our ears, Father. As we hear your word, God, that it would permeate through our bodies, God, that it would resonate through our hearts, God. God, that as you speak your word to us today, God, that it shall bear witness to our hearts. As we're coming to a close in our five-week series, God, that you would bring this together and tie it all together, God, that we can learn the principles of Christianity, God, to live stronger Christian lives, stronger for you, God, effectual Christian lives, Father God, that as we seek your face, God, we can hear your word and win souls for the kingdom of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, part five. Excited. We are joined together today with uh, Pastor Anthony Cruz, and he's here fellowshipping with his church. Wave your hand, Pastor Cruz. He's the church without walls. Amen. God has led him to Connecticut, and he is opening up a church on 35 Kings Highway. Amen. Right in Fairfield. So he got the he got the good spot over there. Just I'll leave it alone. I just praise God. We are on week five of our five-week series, our React Sermon series, and last week. We spoke about being correctable as a believer, allowing God's word to come in and correct our lives, allowing God's word to come in and correct our, our spirits, correct our thought process, amen? And when you become correctable as a believer, then you are teachable. Could you imagine as a child if I went to my school teacher and said, listen, you marked question number five wrong, and I know that Benjamin Franklin was the first president of the United States. And she said, no, Lewis, you know, it's definitely George Washington. How foolish of it would me, of me would it be to argue the fact of something being wrong? Wouldn't that be type foolish of myself to go ahead and press something that I, because I thought it was right? Many times as believers, we push a subject with God that we feel is right, rather than looking at God's word and fixing our lives according to the word of God. Amen? And so we've been covering these five weeks. I'll just do a brief recap. We now know that as believers... We have to be repentant, amen? A mind that is repentant repels sin instead of attracting sin. After being repentant, we move into being effective as Christians, having the principles of God in our life, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, amen? How many want the fruit of the Spirit? God should be an active ingredient in your life, not an inactive ingredient, amen? He's not just there to add color, not just there to give a little flavor. He's there to treat a disease called sin within our lives. And so we moved from there to being accountable as believers, and we understand that most folks don't like being accountable. We don't like being accountable to man, let alone to a God we cannot see. And so we realize as believers we have to have a principle of accountability which led us to being correctable as Christians. See, it's a process. When you become repentant, you live right before God. Until you are repented, you cannot be effective. You cannot. When you become effective, then you're doing things properly. When you do things properly, then God can come in and correct what you think you're doing properly that is not properly done. And hold you accountable and say, listen, you said you're going to do this with me, but you're doing X, Y, and Z. I need you to do A, B, C. Amen? Which moves us to being correctable. Then God can come in and hold us accountable and correct what we are doing that is wrong before him. Amen? 
which in the end we understand God's correction is for our growth and for our direction. Amen? Now from living a life where we receive correction and don't immediately dismiss correction because we swear that someone's hating on us, once we get past the victim mentality, we can get past this ghetto mentality we have. They just hate her. No, 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 no. You have some issues in your life. And God's trying to address them. Amen? Once we get to that point, we can be taught by God's word as a believer and able to accept God's word, able to hear it and to put it into action. It's a huge step in the maturity of a Christian to be able to be correctable and move into being teachable. Many Christians are not teachable. The reason I say that is because they'll listen to a sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon and sermon and sermon and still live the same life they always live. It's like I said last week, like a baby, you take them and and when you feed them, you have to kind of, you know, make sure you hold them and feed them properly. You got to hold them nice. And then you got to take a baby Christian and put him on your shoulder as a pastor. I got to get a little bib up there and I got to be like, hold on. I got to burp the word in you. Don't worry, it's going to be all right. I know this word might give you gas. I understand what God is doing in your life might make some things uncomfortable on the inside. I understand that what God's doing with the word, putting the word inside you might make some things bubble up in you. And it might be like spiritual gas. I don't know. And sometimes, just maybe, the majority of the time, very a lot of Christians are colicky and they just throw the word back up. Just, you broke them too much, and just Monday morning, sinning again. That's the average believer. And so you're not teachable until you take the correction of God and put it into action. Everybody with me today? Only at GVA. We're talking about baby gas. I'm just... David was a man after God's own heart. The word teachable means, it means by definition, capable of being instructed as a person. Capable of being taught a lesson. So putting it into the frame of Christianity, we must be capable of being instructed by God and by leadership. We must be in a position to learn and to grasp the word of God in a fashion that we can receive it and then use it in our lives. Somebody say, I need to use the word of God. King David was the man after God's heart who knew this. One of the reasons why David was the man after God's heart was because he always sought after God. Sometimes he would say stuff like, early in the morning will I seek thee, Lord. He described his relationship with God and he said, as a deer panteth for the water, so my soul, it longs for you. That's that's an amazing metaphor that he uses there. And this is something that resounds throughout his relationship with God. Point number one today is David always said one thing. Psalms 27, verse 11. I'm in Psalms 27, verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Amen. David cries out to God in this psalm. He declares the greatness of God in his life, but how God is his refuge and all these things. He says, Lord, above all things, teach me your way. Somebody say, teach me your way, Lord. It's so important for us to be teachable and to ask God to teach us. Many here, we're not born to this Christianity. Many here have come to Christ after you've had a life of sin, amen? A life of doing what you want. David realized that the only way he can get closer to God was not by reading God's word. 
It was not by just shutting himself in a prayer closet. It was by God teaching him his ways. For sometimes the way of God is more powerful than the word of God. For the word of God was written because of the way of God. And if you can understand the way that God thinks, you can understand why he says what he says. And sometimes the word is powerful, but the way is more powerful. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am the scripture, the passage, and I am the word. No, no, no. We knew he was the word in form, but he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the Torah. And he, in English means the way, the path. He said, I am the way. You with me here today? When it comes that we come to God, there must be a total abandonment of everything we know. Almost overnight, when you gave your life to Christ, everything you knew became obsolete. It was no longer good enough. Everything you knew about life, the way you lived, the way you thought, the way you thought about people became obsolete because now you had to replace it with the heart of God, the thoughts of God. Before God, complete surrender is all that we need. Anything less than it's called disobedience. In order for the relationship to work properly, they had to be surrendered to God. You here with me today? It's like when a couple gets married, most couples who do things properly nowadays, what happens is, is that when you get married, you move into a house with someone you have not lived with. I know that might sound foreign, but usually you don't live with the person before you get married. Got to stay there for a second, make sure, water break, hold on. You with me today? And so the Bible said that when a man is to marry, he leaves his family, she leaves her family, he cleaves to his wife and abandons all others. Meaning there has to be a separation. You got that? We think that marriage has to do with the vow. God calls marriage when you get intimately, I'll, I'll leave that alone. So some of y'all married don't even know it. Um. But what I'm trying to tell you is that God says that when we come into a relationship with someone, right? Here's the problem. You see, I, I've talked to many newlyweds. I've been through it, going through it in many ways myself. That when you get married, it's not, there's no honeymoon phase. You come into the household with your ideas of what it is and what her ideas of it is, and you're going to clash and bang heads, right? And so I have to fit. 25 years of being me into the last nine and a half months of being with my wife. And problems arise in every case and period, in every point. And I have to surrender who I am, and the closer I try and get to her, the less I have to remember who I am. That's the problem you have with God. You're coming into a relationship with him. He's trying to fit an eternity of who he is into the one hour a week you give him. God is trying to fit an eternity of his characteristics into the one hour a week we might give him, the five minutes a day, because we're coming into a relationship with God. I want to be teachable. I want to know that God's speaking to me. I want to be able to take the word of God and, and take the lessons of God. Amen? David has a grip on this thought process, and if, he knows that if I desire to give my life to God, if I desire to be in a relationship with God, committed to the king of kings, that I have to develop his thought process. <clears throat> throughout the, the, the penmanship of David, throughout his literary works and his compositions, he's always crying out for God to teach him, for God to reveal something, to, for God to open up his eyes to his ways. He didn't say, put me on a path to riches. It wasn't put me on a path to success. It wasn't a path that would be super easy, a path that wouldn't require much of me. He didn't say, Lord, put me on a path that I can just live it half, 
halfway, that I can be a Christian mediocrely, that I can serve you when I want to, when it's convenient. He said, Lord, put me on a straight path, a path that might wind, but I'll be straight before you. A path that might be narrow, it might be hard to get through, but that I'll be walking in your way. He did not say, put me on a path that will lead me to great jobs and wealth and riches and that I never have to share my faith and do what I have to do for the kingdom of God. He did not say that. He just said, Lord, put me on a straight path. Put me on your path. He was not looking for an easy alternative, but rather he cried out for God's way, not his own. Paul describes David as a man after God's own heart. We see like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to the Father and said, not my will, your will. David, same thing, not my ways, your ways. Every scripture you read of David, you see he was a man after God's heart. He was not perfect. He was sinful. He had many things wrong with him. He had a lustful spirit that came through the rejection of his father. His father could not stand him. And David still had a heart after God. Anybody here today, you want a heart after God. You want to say, God, I don't care what rejection I have in my life. I want to have a heart after you. Psalms 25, 4 and 5, another scripture of David, another psalm he penned. And he said, show me your ways, O Lord. Not your word. He said, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Meaning, teach me the way you walk. Teach me the road you would take. Not how I would act, what you would do in this situation. Teach me what you would do when you get angry. Teach me, Lord. Guide me in your truth, verse 5. And teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day. Again, David's crying out to God for instruction. He seems obsessed with the ways of God, for he understands the ways of God is what evokes the word of God. You can't see God's signs in your life if you're not walking and driving down the road. You're not going to see godly signs around you. Because he has the God 95 interstate highway. And you're on the devil's route 8. Minus two, which is six. Oh, my God. Just think about it. We're on, we're not on, we, we always walk our own path, but want God's signs. Yield. Stop. Why didn't God tell me he was going to break my heart? Because you were not on God's highway. You would have saw a stop sign. But you were on your own way, your own path, and all you saw was speed limit is 105. You got me? You got my drift today? So David realizes the ways of God, the thoughts of God. He does not want just to hear him talk. David wants to go deeper and to hear him think. Your ways, Lord. Your ways. How many of you want to hear God thinking? Teach me your ways, your path, your actions. Speak louder than your words, God. So teach me your ways. Imagine this. God says this. I put my word above myself. God honors his word above anything in the universe. How much more powerful is the thoughts that evoke the words if the words are above God in the universe? God said, I place my word above myself, meaning above the being of who I am, above the existence of God. I place my word. The thoughts of God, the ways of God evoke the word of God. And so David said, the word is powerful, but I'm after something greater. I'm after something greater. For you are my God. He says, my Savior, my hope is in you. David had this unquenchable desire for God. I believe David was the man of God in the Bible who was the hungriest for God. I don't believe a man ever lived like David who was hungrier for God than he was. He didn't want just God's blessings. He wanted God's discipline. He wanted God's correction. 
He was not the type of believer to hear a sermon after sermon and never realize they're living in sin. He was the type of person to come after God and to chase him with all of his heart. David was all in. As a believer, you have got to be all in. You cannot live half in the world, half with God. David said, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Psalms 9, 1. With my whole heart, I will praise you. Psalms 111, uh, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise you with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright, meaning in the congregation. Psalms 119, verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee, not half-heartedly, not just part way, not just when I feel like it, when, when I'm not in a bad mood. He said, with my whole heart at all times, when I'm going through hell, when I'm going through good times, bad times, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you with everything that I am. God, I'm chasing after you. <coughs> Psalms 119.69, he declares, oh Lord, the proud have forged a lie against me. But I will keep your precepts, meaning people have gossiped about me and lied about me, but I will keep your way. And then he says, I will keep them with my whole heart. I'm not going to lose who you made me in Christ to be over a situation someone else is spitting about me in their mouth. I'd rather be like you with my whole heart and forget who they are in my life. Psalms 119.34, give me understanding, but I shall keep your law. I shall keep your Torah, meaning your path, your way, and I shall observe it. Not with my heart, but with my whole heart. David is all in. Somebody say all in. Psalms 119, 145. He says, I cried to you, Lord, with my whole heart. And I will keep your statutes, meaning your laws. Psalms 138, another one. He says, I will praise thee with my whole heart before God. I will sing praises unto thee. David constantly cried out to God, not with partiality. David came to God not when he felt like it, not when it was convenient, but I came to tell you today, David came with his whole heart, with everything that was in him, he desired God. Somebody say, with my whole heart. He said, when things get bad, when I'm in uncomfortable, uncomfortable situations with my whole heart, I'm going to cry out to you, God. I'm going to chase after you. When things seem to be getting worse and I don't have answers, it is with my whole heart that I will call unto you. My whole heart, I'm going to be teachable. Just teach me your law, your precepts. Lord, teach me your ways, your paths. I want to walk with you. I don't want to just talk with you on a cell phone. I want to walk the path you're walking. I don't want to see the footprints you left me to direct me. God, I want to see you in everything that I do. I want to see your fingerprints in my life. I want your DNA to be in my blood. I want you to be in me, God. I want less of me and more of you. For when I, when I lower myself and I exalt you, God, I realize, I realize then you can teach me and mold me and sculpt me. I will not run when things get tough. I will not quit when the going gets hard. I will remain teachable to your will, and I will remain in the midst of your correction and your discipline. Even when, when it hurts me, God, I will pursue you, for I know that you love me, and you correct those you love, for you are a loving father. I wish you'd get something from this today, that every, every time in the midst of Torah, turmoil and, and all the times of issues in your life that you would just seek after God with your whole heart as David did for he said I've been young and I've been old but one thing I've never seen I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread he said listen I, I've been through a lot but I know one thing I've never seen a man of God forsaken by God I've never seen his children uncared for I've never seen them begging for food the righteous he says not the unrighteous the righteous how many of you want to inherit that promise from God that you'll never be begging bread 
never be out needing in the streets, being part of a welfare system of a government, but being provided for by the kingdom of God. If you want that, then start to be righteous, for that promise is only for the righteous. And so he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He said, every part of me is for you, Lord. Every ounce of me belongs to you. I will not leave you. I will not stay in sin because I didn't get my way. I will not stay in sin because I got weary. I will not live in sin because it was too hard for me at a moment's notice. But I will chase after you. Somebody say with me, with my whole heart. If you leave with nothing else, then leave with that phrase in your mind, ingrained into your heart, that the way you should serve God is with your whole heart. Even while in the midst of all these things, being caught out by God, cheating with Bathsheba, David got caught. He, he ended up, the Bible says in the times where kings went out to war, that David stayed behind in the capital city. He was in Jerusalem on top of his palace. He looked out over and saw a woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. And he asked for her and he had sex with her and got her pregnant. And then he found out she was married. Oh. Calls for a husband. He tries to trick him into sleeping with her. He tries to be real like he's just matchmaker from hell. Doesn't work out. Sends her husband to get murdered. And so the prophet Nathan comes to David and he, he says, listen, he tells him a story of a man. And he says, listen, there was a rich man and he had many sheep. And he had a friend come into town. But this rich man did not want to sacrifice one of his sheep to eat. And so he took the, the one lamb, the one lamb of a poor man, and he took it for himself. And David, the Bible says, was outraged. Him being a shepherd, he knew the value of sheep. And he was upset that this rich man took this one poor man's one and only sheep. And he was outraged. And he said, that man should be put to death. And Nathan came with the glory of God and with the correction of God and said, well, you are that man. But you took that one man's wife. He was poor, out fighting your war. You took his wife and David was held low. And in Psalms 51, one of the verses David uttered before God after being caught in sin. He says to the Lord, surely I was sinful at birth. I'm in Psalms 51 verse 5. I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And Lord, you desire truth in my inner parts, in the deep part of me. He said, you teach me wisdom. In the inmost place. He's saying, Lord, I was sinful from the beginning. I've had this lust issue for my whole life. But Lord, I need you to teach me from within, from the deep part, where that lust issue is, down to the core of my sinful DNA. Teach me your ways and your mind. That when, when he runs into the temptation of sin, he's saying, I can go away from it next time. Teach me your ways, oh Lord. He's begging God for mercy and for God's teaching in his life because he realized the mistakes of his life come from the lack of knowing God. And so he says, God, teach me on the inside. Not on the outside where I can come to church and fool everybody. Teach me on the inside in my privacy of my own life. Teach me from that space in my life, God. Somebody say, teach me, Lord. Psalms 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me undivided heart that I may fear your name. Wow. He says, Lord, teach me. Again, this man with the heart of God declares, teach me and I will walk in your path. I will not walk away from you, God. It's not God's desire for us to be taught on a Sunday morning but forget his word throughout the week, but rather he would, he would, he would rather for us to have a relationship daily with him, week by week, day by day. No amens. We'll just leave that one alone. 
God wants a true love relationship with you. You see, the problem is church, church always seems to end up like couples counseling between us and God. We voice our problems. He voices his. We come to agreement. Fall in love again. We're hugging and kissing God after church. Like if it's all okay. But like many other couples do after a counseling, the next day they're fighting again. Well, if you've been through counseling, you know what I'm talking about. Just me? Okay, just the chuckles are guilty. Not just me, okay? Isn't that how church seems to always be? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. You're right. I am a screw-up. I am a, oh, my God. I love you, Lord. You leave church so energized, so powerful in God. Wake up the next day, it's all gone. You're mad you woke up my whole life. I hate it. I got to go to work so early. I couldn't get a 10 o'clock job, Lord. <laughs> we find a reason to bicker with God. David declares in the second verse, second part of this verse, he says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Give me a heart that is completely for you and not divided between the world he's saying and you. I want to fear your name, not being afraid, but a reverential fear, having reverence for someone, having respect. He says, God, I want to respect you. because Right now, I don't respect you in my heart. I respect you in my, with my mouth. But in my heart, I never choose you when the time comes to choose right from wrong. He says, I want an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Meaning have a, having a, a reverence and fear that you know that God will discipline you. The church is unafraid of God. Some doctrines teach God will not punish you. God loves you. God loves you too much to be a judge. Malachi chapter 2 verse 14 says, you're a fool if you think God won't judge you. For he, is not, he does not love the sinner and the sin alike. He loves a sinner and hates a sin, and he will have to judge us. But David says, I want that undivided heart, Lord. Teach me your way. Somebody say, teach me, Lord. Psalms 119, as a youngster, I never wanted to read it because it was so long. It was, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's longer than some books. But I took a stab at reading it. And I want to take some excerpts and give them to you, Amen. I seek you with all my heart. I'm in verse 10, Psalms 119. He says, do not let me stray from your commands, for I have hidden your, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. And I rejoice in following your statutes. And as one who rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not. Neglect your word. I will not forget your word when the time comes. I will not neglect it when it's time to put it into action. He's declaring in more ways than one he is after God. He wants God's commands. He wants God's precepts, God's statutes, God's decrees. He wants the whole shebang. He says, God, I want your law, your decrees, your statute, your commands. He's talking all about the same thing, but finding another word to use, to describe it. He's saying, God, I want all of you. I love the message version of that scripture, it says, how can a young man, stay, a young man stay clean and clear before the Lord? And it says, you know, Lord, I've locked, I've locked your promises in the vault of my heart. In one passage, it says, Lord, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart. I've taken them like a check to the bank because I know I can count on your word. And I've locked it in the vault of my life. I will not neglect your words. I don't want to just... Hear it and never put it to practice. He says, I'm going to use it, God. Psalms 119, verse 25. 
up until 32. He says, I am laid low in the dust, meaning I'm humble. I'm going to be humility here. I'm going to have it all over my life. He says, preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways, meaning I thought about the stupidness and the foolishness of who I was, and you answered me. So now teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow, so strengthen me. How? According, somebody say to your word. Keep me from, from deceitful ways, meaning keep me from being a liar. Be gracious to me, he says, through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. Oh, Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I will run the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. How many of you want to be set free by God, able to run the path of life? With passionate words from the lips of a man to the ears of God, you have set my heart free. I am running after you. I'm chasing after you. Everything he is declaring is asking that God would be a teacher. Teach me your precepts, your laws, everything you need, God. He's saying that it's, it's, with, it's what's your will? What's your will for my life, God? That, that's what I want. Whatever you have for me, God. He says, teach me to live the way you want me to live, not the way I would live. He realizes that God can only teach him if he's walking in God's path, walking outside of God's path and trying to get a plan from God is like trying to catch a plane at a bus station. Where are you going? Florida, Delta, take me downtown Bridgeport. It says gate C. I don't see it here. I just ever felt lost like that in your, in your faith with Christ? Walk his path. You won't feel that way. Walk his will, you won't feel that way. Walk in his precepts, you won't feel that way. Walk in his laws, his statutes. You will not have those thought processes in your mind. Psalms 119, verse 33. This is a long psalm. It has like 150-something verses. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. He says, give me understanding. I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. It's not about me, Lord. He says it's about your gain. It's not about what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. One of the greatest words ever spoken by a president, John F. Kennedy, said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. One of the most patriotic statements in the world, but yet God says, Ask not what I can do for you, but what you can do for me. Not so great, right? See that? When God wants it, it's just not as fun. JFK said it, and we're like, oh, wow. God says it, and it's like, ugh. Because I have a laundry list of what I need from you. If you could put your list away and ask God for his list, he'll take care of yours while you're not looking. I just want to give you that one, but okay. Verse 37, he says, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Again, David's calling out to be taught according how to the word of God, the law of God, the precepts, the statutes, the commands, the creeds. Verse 64, let's jump down if you're following through. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. 
Most of you might read that and miss the most important part in there. He says, before I was afflicted, meaning before you punished me, before I went into a bad situation, I had gone astray. I had left your will. That's why I'm going to issues in my life. That's why I have problems because I walked away from your path expecting you to follow me in my way, not realizing I had to follow you in your way. God's always moving. You're not. You got that? You never found Jesus. You just finally intersected with him. He was never lost. You get that? I just think about this. Oh, I found God one day at GVA. No, you didn't find God. You finally walked onto his path and saw his road signs to, to leading to eternal life. He says, Lord, before I was afflicted, before you punished me, before I was broke, before I did this and did that and did this, it was because I went astray. So he goes, so Lord, teach me according to your decrees. Verse 108. <coughs> Accept, O oh Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. This next verse is very powerful. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. Though I constantly do what I want anyways outside of your will. Though I constantly still lose my temper. Though I constantly still lose control. Though I always seem to find sin, even when there doesn't seem sin available, I always find it. When I always seem to fall into temptation, when I always seem to fall away from you, God, I always take my life in my hands. I didn't have to cuss them out. I didn't have to give them the finger for cutting me off on a highway. I didn't have to do that. I took my life in my own hands. So, Lord, help me not forget your laws. Help me not forget them, God, as I take your name in vain throughout the day and everything twice about it, even though the... The commandment says that thou shalt not use the name of the Lord in vain. It says thou shalt not steal, but we steal. Thou shalt not kill, but we kill people with our words. I will not forget your laws. Oh, just, okay, we'll leave that one alone. We don't take our life in our own hands. We walk in the palm of God all day. Just Verse 124. Many people might not want to read verse 124 because it says deal with your servant according to your love. That means God's going to discipline you. So don't read that and don't say it if you don't mean it. Because he says, teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken, meaning in who? In him. He says, Lord, he's just snitched himself out. According to our theology, he gets stitches now. The snitches always get stitches. He says, Lord, your law is being broken. Yep, it's by me. Teach me your decrees. This guy's amazing. He just rats himself out. It's time for you to act, Lord. Break me apart because I'm breaking the law. That's what he's saying. According to your love. Verse 124, according to your love, Lord, deal with me. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. How many of you, I've, I've been watching, um, uh, you know, Gold Rush, that show. Um, it's a great show. These miners go to Alaska looking for gold. It's, it's, it's a very entertaining show. They have like about a certain, they have about 180 days to mine, and the winter comes in in Alaska, freezes the whole world. It's crazy. Just, and the, 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 the amount of money they get for the gold they find, I mean, $1,700 for an ounce of gold. An ounce of gold is like that. And they get this little nugget. They're all excited. I'm like, why are they so excited? Because they got like 1800 for that, 1790 something. I just, that, that's why they're so excited. 
and it's not even pure yet. When they purify it, it becomes even more valuable because it raises the carrots. And so David says, I value your commands. Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. Have no graven images. Anybody know the commandments? I mean, you only know 10 of them, but God gave them 619. They're called misbots. He gave them over 600. We only know 10. Can you keep the other 682? What can you do? We can have trouble with the 10. Could you imagine if I gave you the rest of them? He says, Lord, I love your commands more than pure gold. Why would he say that? Deuteronomy 4, verse 40, what does it say? If we keep his commands, it may go well with us, and we may have long life. And long life is worth more than gold in a day of the week. He said, because I consider your precepts all to be right, I hate every wrong path. I hate every wrong path. Have you gotten to the point that you hate sin? I hate sin, God. I hate when I curse. I hate when I act against you. I hate when I don't put you first, God. I hate when things go not according to your will, God. I'm hurt for you. I hate when I hear people swearing. I hate when I hear nasty music. I hate when I see folks living in sin. I hate when I have sin. We not got to that point. We're tolerant. As long as you don't bring it into my house, be you. Be yourself. It's a, no, it's not okay. That is wrong. I'm going to let you know. I love you, but you got to stop cursing around me. I love you, but you cannot take God's name in vain around me. Listen, you're my friend, but if you're going to talk like that, I don't want you in my circle infesting my children. We can't just sit there and be tolerant of everything. Listen, if I'm going to be in your car, I'm going to ask you to turn that music off. If not, I can eat you at the diner. Because I got my own car because I'm blessed like that. You get what I'm saying? Have you gotten to the point where you hate sin? Be honest with yourself. Many of us have not. It may sound crazy, but when I was a kid, they cursed in a movie. We did something crazy and turned it off. I didn't get to the movie theater until I was like, what, 12, 13 years old? Because my parents knew what was in there. Call me sheltered, but I came out pretty good. Not giving your kids everything might not be the worst thing in the world. When I cursed, my lips knew that I shouldn't do it again. Because I meant backhand, and backhand was not fun. My dad was a man. His belt would wrap around me, and I did not want to meet his belt. In the old church, our belt was so big, he had a name with a prefix, Mr. Green. Because he was big and green, and he was leather. And if you acted up, your parents would take you back there and pop. If we hit the belt, they would get a chancla. They didn't care. Have you got to the point where you hate sin? Have you got to the point where you dislike being outside of God's will? That's part of being teachable is learning that God does not want you in the wrong path. David despises the sin in his, even his own life. He despises it and he presents it to the Lord. And he says, Lord, I don't even want to, I don't even know what to do with this. So I need your ways. Verse 135 says, make your face shine upon your servant. Teach me your decrees. Verse 171, Psalms 119, may my lips overflow with praise. Why will you teach me your decrees? Psalms 143, he's, he's repetitive. He says, teach me to do your will, for you my, are my God. May your good spirit lead me on the level ground. 
I want to be level in you, God. I want to have the, the right balance of you in my life. Even when we go through things in our life, we should want the godly balance of his word in us. Amen? Teach me your ways. The number one key to being teachable is telling God, hey, listen, God, teach me your ways. Number two, don't miss a teachable moment. God's always giving lessons. Look at Job. He was a man of God and had done no wrong before the Lord. But yet he was afflicted. Yet even in the midst of it all, he did not stray from God's teachings. Job, verses 6, 24 and 25, he says, teach me and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. Job was a rich man. Job had many, many flocks back in the day agriculturally and through livestock was how you determined your riches. He had tons of animals, tons of livestock. He had a plethora of kids. He had everything a man could want. He was the richest man on the earth at the time. And God came in because he said to the devil, listen, that's my servant Job. He's amazing. Satan said, listen, if you take away all his blessings, he's going to turn away from you. God said, let's see. You can do everything, but don't touch his life. So Satan killed all his kids. How many of you would turn away from God? You lost your whole family. Not Job. He, he, he tore his clothes and began to pray. Lost all of his cattle. Lost all of his riches. All of his earthly belongings. All gone. And yet all he could say was, teach me a way. I'll be quiet. Show me where I've been wrong. Is that what you would say before God? The only thing he should have lost was his wife. And she's sitting there saying, curse Job. Curse God, Job. Just curse him. Curse him. Curse him. He did this to you. Job had done nothing wrong. Sometimes your lesson has nothing to do with you. Yes, maybe you're broke, hurting, you feel like you can't get ahead, you lost some friends in your life, maybe you have loved ones have died, maybe you can't seem to find peace. But maybe, just maybe, it's not about you, and God's trying to teach someone around you a thing called faith. Because through the lesson, Job did not learn nothing, his wife did, his friends did. His friends learned what faith looked like. Maybe the test you face is to raise somebody else's faith. It's not even about you. Job lost everything, his belongings, his children. Everybody was telling him to curse God. But yet he remained teachable, and his friends saw what unparalleled faith looked like. Don't be weary because things get tough in your life. Be patient in affliction, as the Bible declares. Allow God to teach you and teach others through you. Man, if so-and-so can go through all that and lose their faith, who am I to quit? That's what your life should look like. Man, I've seen Minister Melvin go through a ton of stuff. If he can do it, I know I can do it. Man, if I've seen Mike go through hell and high water, I know that I can make it. I know that I can do it. Maybe the things you're facing has got nothing to do with you. Sometimes God's lessons come through Satan's depressions. Maybe the thing you're going through is the lesson that God's trying to teach someone else from the outside looking in and to see how to overcome yourself. You see, when David got by himself, the Bible says there was a situation at Ziklag where all his men's wives had gotten kidnapped and they thought about killing him. The Bible says David got by himself and he encouraged himself. <clears throat> he didn't call the pastor. He didn't call the minister. He didn't put a morbid post on Facebook. He didn't tweet a death threat. No. He got by himself, he grew up, and he cried out to God and encouraged himself. Maybe what you're facing has got nothing to do with you and everything to do with who's watching you. Because people would love to see you fail, see you fall. But I have been young, I have been old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Don't miss 
the teachable moments God's trying to give you. In the midst of your faith failing, God is going to have somebody else's faith grow. In the midst of your faith prevailing, God's going to be able to raise someone else up with you. God's not trying to flow to you, but through you. And so all the situations you go through are probably about somebody else in your life. Look at the issue of Jesus. When he was on the boat, he fell asleep. The storm came. His, his disciples are all type of messed up. They're like, we're going to die. We're going to die. They're like, oh, my God, wake up the master. Everyone's like, wake him up, wake him up, wake him up. He was about to go feed 5,000. The storm wasn't even about them. It was trying to disturb the rest of Jesus. The storm did not get to him. It did not wake him up. The people around him woke him up. You see, sometimes you can be so in tune with God, you're not even aware of the storm that you are going through. And someone with your drama has to come around you. Hey, Manny, you don't see what's going on? Oh, my God. Instead of saying, listen, I'm in tune with God. I'm on the way to do God's will. I'm about to do miracles, signs, and wonders. Get away from me. I don't care what you're going through. The storm ain't got nothing to do with me. The problem was not the storm. It was when the storm on the outside of the boat got in the inside of their minds. That's where the problem is. Don't miss God's teachable moment. Don't give up. It might have nothing to do with you. Be in position to learn, both in your heart and in your mind. Understand in order to learn and be taught by God, we must give him the opportunity to speak into us. Fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Participating in, in, in studying your Bible. Participating in church services, church fellowships, having time set aside daily to study with the Lord and just seek his face. But the Bible says to study to show yourself approved. Having a time where you pray and communicate with God. Last week we spoke about being correctable. Allow God to correct your life. Allow God to shape you. These are a few ways that you can actually maintain a relationship that is teachable with the Lord by putting yourself in a place where God can speak to you. Be open to God's ideas in your life. When I was a manager for CVS, one of the core values they had was openness to new ideas. And the reason they developed this core value was because they had an onslaught of old managers with old ideas and old ways of doing things that weren't helping the new market. And so they installed a new core value, openness to new ideas. Listen, in other words, you don't go with a core value, we'll just fire you. Because we put it there now. Now the DM's going to come in, tell you what to do, and he doesn't care if you like it or not, you're going to do it or get fired. And so as I was there as a manager, I saw many old managers come and go. It was like a changing of the guard. Why? Because there was not openness to new ideas. Be open to God's new ideas. Because God's new ideas, he's not going to pour a new idea into an old mind the same way you wouldn't pour new wine into an old wineskin. God's not going to try and pour into something that's already full because then he knows his stuff stays in the top and overflows out and comes back up anyways. And so... I just missed that, but I'll leave it alone. Matthew 2.22. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, then the wineskin will burst. And both the wine and the wineskin are going to be ruined. So he pours new wine into new wineskins. You want new thoughts from God? You want a new mindset? Be a new creature in Christ. If you allow God to teach you and be open to his new ideas, you're going to have a new plethora of godly thoughts in your mind. Throughout your week, when you're struggling, God's going to raise up faith in you because you have a new mindset on things. Amen? Don't reject God's ways because they are unfamiliar, but rather embrace them for they are life. We have to empty ourselves. Empty ourselves of everything we have. Everything we now have is obsolete when we come into God's presence. God wants to fill you up to change your life. Amen? 
Always remember, God is a teacher. What he does is worth learning. Jesus did not come as a general. He did not come as anything. He did not come in the form of an earthly king. He did not come as a, as a, as a pro fighter. He did not come as an MMA champion. He did not come as a horseback racer. He came as a teacher, a master, a rabbi. All these things, he was a teacher. Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as a teacher of the law. Mark 4, 2, speaking of Jesus, he taught them by parables. Luke 4, 14, he taught in the synagogues and everyone praised him. Luke 5, 3, he got into one of the boats belonging to Simon and he put it on the shore and he began to teach the people from the boat. Jesus was a teacher. He was not the son of a carpenter. He was a teacher. Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. John 18, 20, I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why? He was a teacher with a lesson to teach. He came as a teacher. He came to teach God's way, teach God's thought process. He came to teach us that we should not die but have life and have it everlasting. He came to teach us how to lay down our lives the same way he laid down his life for others. He came to teach us the godly principles of all things God could have done. He sent his son in the form of a teacher that he might teach the world that we might learn his precepts, his values, his principles. He was not only a teacher, but he was a teacher of teachers, for he trained apostles to go throughout all the world. And do you not realize when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God has called you to be a teacher of the gospel. And if we don't remain teachable as individuals, how can we ever teach? How can we ever give someone the life that we've received from the word of God? Look at your neighbor and tell them, God called you to be a teacher. Church, I will tell you today, it's so important that you would never think you've reached the pinnacle of perfection that you can no longer learn from something, that you can no longer receive. For once we, we remain unteachable, once we get to that point where we no longer learn, we cease to grow. We have no sustenance coming in. But if we constantly learn about God, if we constantly seek God and remain teachable by the Lord, your faith will grow when it's supposed to fail. I got one amen. Your faith will rise when others are falling all around you. In a place where others find death, you're going to find life. And where people find brokenness, you'll find healing. Where some have, have felt as if their life has no purpose, you're going to find destiny and purpose. If you remain teachable by the Lord, where others around you in the faith are falling, failing, and sinning, you're going to rise up in faith. You're going to be like, you know what? No, I've been learning God's ways. I've been learning God's ways through his word, and because of this, I'm going to rise up. I will live, and I will not die. Come on, stand with me this, morning, this afternoon where we're at. I don't have a clock back there yet. If I can get my band up here, come on. How many of you want to be a teachable believer in this place today? That God can be able to teach you. That God can be able to work in your path, work in your life. Come on. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, let's just take a moment to just reverence the Holy Spirit. Reverence the Lord today.
Come on, come on, come on. Just bow your heads even now. In Jesus' name. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, we said during praise and worship, one of the hardest things for a believer to do is to believe in the word of God. To believe that he has a promise for you. To believe that he has a purpose for you. To believe that he has something in your life. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. We can talk all day about Christian principles, about believing God, having a repentant mind, having all these things. But church, I tell you, in the end, the hardest thing you're going to have to do is simply to have faith in the teachings of God. To trust everything that he's telling you is right. To trust this word of God is infallible. To trust it shall bring your life. To trust everything. The world will cry out to you. There is no God. There is nothing here for you. But I argue to tell you differently that there is life within these scriptures. There is peace. There is hope. If you would remain teachable as a person, as a believer, open to the ideas of God, and you will let God instill in you a heart after him as David had we will find life and find life more abundantly find superior life life that is great life that flows into us come on I just need to know in this place today I don't care if you've been here a thousand years or not if you need faith in your life to trust God come on lift your hand just say I need the faith because I want to be teachable but I gotta, I gotta ask God for that faith right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In order to know that what He's doing is right. Come on, that you lift your hands and tell Him that you're real. I wanna know it, God. saying pastor that's me I want you to sing it out right now tell him come on give me faith let's lift it up in one voice give me faith give me faith I want to trust you Lord to trust what you say come on faith is rising faith is rising that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give trust in your word God as believers our desire is to be teachable by your word God we want to learn your lessons God and live a life that is pleasing God God for five weeks we've been talking about your principles God of being a strong mature believer God God your word has not fallen on deaf ears God let your faith rise up in us God to live these things God Father this is our cry out to you today God Trust what you say.
you're good. That you're good. Your love. And your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my life. Come on, let's tell him one more time. Just give me faith, God. Come on, that's your prayer this afternoon. Tell him, just give me faith, God. Give me faith to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside. I give you my love. Father, hear our cries this morning, God. Hear our prayers this morning, God. Father, hear our hearts even now, but some are crying out to you, God. Crying out for the, a new depth in their Christianity. A maturity to come out of them, God. God, we're crying out for faith this, this day, God. We're crying out for our faith to rise up, God. That our relationship with you get closer and closer and closer. For my heart's desire is to draw near unto my God and for him to draw near unto me, God. Speak to your people, God, daily, God. As we leave this place, God, that we would not leave your presence, but that your truth would be known in us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, put your hands together for him this morning.